You're listening to episode number eight of the Boys Built Better podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about my family and sleep apnea. Welcome to the Boys Built Better podcast. I'm Jessica, a mom of three boys who is just trying to do things better. I'm coming to you from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I live with my husband, our boys, and a whole lot of four-legged friends. I'm here to share my thoughts on raising boys in today's world, find answers to your parenting questions, and chat with experts about building happy, healthy boys. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me today. Today is a solo episode and we are talking about the one regret, big regret, that I have as a parent. I think as a parent we probably all have, if you're a parent, you wouldn't be listening to this if you're not. So uh, as a parent, we all have kind of a million little things that we would probably do differently if we had the chance to do them. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the past couple of weeks since um, this this thing that I'm going to talk about came up again. Um, and the reason why I think it's a regret of mine is there's a lot of things I would do differently if I could. Like, for example, I would totally handle video games differently if I could. Um, but to me, and we can still work that out, right? I can still kind of change how much time I allow my kids to play video games or what they're playing, but I can't really undo the consequences of sleep apnea for my middle son who had sleep apnea for probably four years. And we're going to talk about that whole story and what sleep apnea is today. Um, And the reason why I am recording this episode is it sort of all came back to me this past week or so when I took my six and 11 year old to their checkup for their yearly checkup. And the doctor followed up with me on a concern I had raised about my six-year-old because I don't think that he's sleeping very well. And as you're going to learn, this is something that I am super, super sensitive to because we've already gone through this with my middle son. So my youngest, I brought it up at his yearly last year. Um, I noticed that he was snoring a little bit. I was concerned about the size of his tonsils. Um, and he has this, this actually happened the other night. Uh, he was up watching television at 2 AM, which he has a history of doing. So getting up in the middle of the night. So I, I've just kind of clued in, um, to the fact that he might not be sleeping very well. And our family doctor brought this up with me again. We actually have a new doctor and, um, he had mentioned, that I had some sleep concerns and wanted to know if I still had them. And to be honest, they really hadn't been on my mind. I had taken a few pictures of the way he was sleeping when we were on a road trip and spending a lot of time in the same room. And I was thinking, oh gosh, I have to bring up sleep apnea at his next checkup. But to be honest, I had totally forgotten about it until the doctor brought it up which I'm so glad he did. And he ordered my six-year-old a sleep apnea test, which I have now scheduled. It's in November. I'll keep you updated. Uh, But the whole thing kind of brought me back to my experience with my middle son and his undiagnosed sleep apnea. And I just thought I should come on and talk to you about it because it's something that I regret for us Um, So if your child is having any sleep concerns, I kind of want to tell you what happened with us or just how to deal with like a medical diagnosis that maybe is going unrecognized. 
Now, before I go any further in this discussion about sleep apnea, let me just clarify that I am definitely not a doctor. Uh, I have done some research to prepare for this episode. I have um, made every effort to make sure that the information I am putting out there on this show is correct. But please, please, please definitely don't take this as medical advice. I have a degree in childhood education and acting, definitely not a medical degree. So if you have any concerns about your own child, um, please follow up with your family doctor. So I found some great articles about sleep apnea from reputable um, medical sites. And I'm going to read a little bit about sleep apnea just so that I don't get the information wrong. And then I'm going to kind of intersperse it with, with our actual story and what happened and why I regret the way it happened. Um, for those of you that want to learn more about sleep apnea, I am going to link to those episodes, or I'm going to link in the show notes to the articles that I'm using on the show. So what is sleep apnea? Sleep apnea um, or obstructive sleep apnea occurs when a child stops breathing during periods of sleep. Um, this usually occurs because of a blockage in the airway. Tonsils and adenoids may grow to be large relative to the size of a child's airway passages, and inflamed and infected glands may grow to be larger than normal, thus causing more blockage. The enlarged tonsils and adenoids block the airway during sleep for a period of time. During episodes of blockage, the child may look as if he or she is trying to breathe, but no air is being exchanged within the lungs, and often these episodes Episodes conclude with a period of awakening and compensation for lack of breathing. The periods of blockage occur regularly throughout the night, and as a result, your child experiences a poor interrupted sleep pattern. And this is most commonly found, obstructive sleep apnea in children is most commonly found between three to six years of age. So what causes these periods of breathing to stop. So in kids for sleep apnea, and it is different in adults, but in kids, if you have um, enlarged tonsils and adenoids, um, what happens is that when you sleep, your muscles tend to relax um, when you're sleeping, which allows any of that large, enlarged tissue to sort of fall into your airways and either partially or completely block those airways when you're sleeping. Like for example, my son had his tonsils taken out, and after the surgery, they had said that his um, breathing, based on the size of his tonsils, was almost 75% blocked on both sides. So he was really not getting a lot of air through um, his airway at night. So how does this relate to my family or our journey uh, down the uh, sleep apnea road? Well, when my son was one, at, at one of his one-year-old checkups, I don't remember the exact one, but I know that it was right at one or soon after he turned one, I noticed that he was snoring and I brought it up to the doctor. Um, what my understanding was at the time, and it still is that snoring in children is abnormal um, and is something to take note of. Again, I'm not a doctor, but, um, you know, obviously your kids might snore if they have a cold and they're really congested, but regular snoring is definitely something to take note of in a kids. And, and I was aware of that and brought that concern to my doctor when my child was very young. 
which when I asked my doctor about it, he said, oh, well, is he waking up at night, my son? Um, you know, because I brought this concept, I brought this concern of snoring and obviously the big concern is sleep apnea if your child is snoring. So the doctor wanted to know if he was experiencing periods of wakefulness. And because I wasn't in the room with my child when he was sleeping, that was not a question I could answer and it was never anything I had looked for. So I told the doctor that no, I didn't think that he was waking up at night. And that was the end of that at the one-year-old visit. And from then on, it was something that we revisited at every doctor's appointment um, was, well, this concern that my son is snoring. And somewhere along the line, I also brought the concern of the size of his tonsils because I had taken note that his tonsils were really big. So I feel like that was probably when he was around three or four. And it, it... was something that we would be concerned about and would forget about. But on and off, my son was snoring from the age of one until the age of five. And at the age of five, I can tell you that I had talked regularly with my doctors about my son snoring. And I had also talked regularly with my doctors about the size of my son's tonsils and that being a concern for me. And the answer or the question from my doctors always was, well, is he waking up at night? Well, is he waking up at night? And I just never could answer it fully. And that really is where maybe some of my regret lies is that I didn't do enough research or I just let it die, assuming that the question, you know, the doctors were following up as they saw fit and that maybe um, my concerns were for nothing. But when we finally got to his five-year appointment, um, at that appointment, I said to the doctor, hey, I really want to see an ENT. I've talked about this for years now, and I want an ENT to look at my son. And that is really where things changed really quickly is when I finally got to see a specialist. So we finally get into the ENT's office, and within minutes of us meeting this doctor and me talking about my son's sleep, he suggests that my son probably has sleep apnea. And the reason why that happened so quickly in his office is the ENT being a specialist knew to ask more questions than just, is your son waking up at night? And also knew that I have since later learned is there's really more to the story about symptoms of sleep apnea. It goes beyond just snoring and is your child waking up at night. So let's talk about some of the symptoms that are symptoms of sleep apnea in general, and then also specific symptoms that we were experiencing. And I'm going to break this up into nighttime symptoms and daytime symptoms. And that really is where my regret lies is that the symptoms of sleep apnea, For if you have a child that's not sleeping well, it goes beyond what's happening at night. You're going to see things happen during the day due to that lack of sleep. So things that you might see at night with a child that has sleep apnea is definitely snoring. But more than snoring, which I learned from our ENT, is what he called Darth Vader breathing. So snoring or also loud breathing during sleep can indicate sleep apnea. Obviously, there are periods of not breathing. 
Um, and I did this, the ENT had me after that first initial visit really continue to watch my son at night sleeping and take videos of him sleeping so that I could show the the doctor what was actually happening. And that's where I started to see the actual not breathing. And it sort of looks like, or sounds like a, if you are breathing in and out, what would happen is on an intake, you can almost, the air stops flowing and you can hear that stop. And that's when your child would kind of briefly wake up. And I was able to record that and, and see that that was indeed happening. Another symptom at night, and this can also be during the day is breathing with your mouth open. Um, that is if the passage to the nose, and I think this is more indicative of um, enlarged adenoids, but if that nose area, because your adenoids are up kind of like back behind your nose, uh, if you if that airway is sort of compromised, then you open your mouth and breathe through your mouth more. Another symptom of sleep apnea is just restlessness during sleep, um, moving around a lot, um, odd positions. And bedwetting also, I I have read, and that is in information, that is not something that personally happened to us, um, but bedwetting can indicate sleep apnea. And then the other thing that really clued the ENT into sleep apnea for us, for my child, um, which I didn't really see in any of the research, but my son would sleep with his head and and tilted back completely and his mouth open. So I already mentioned mouth breathing, but he also would tilt his head and neck back. And the ENT really felt like that was a sign that's indicative of sleep apnea because it it's kind of creating a rigid um, your a rigidity in the neck, which is trying to keep that airway open. And so if your child is sleeping with his head tilted back, that was a, a sign for us. Now, during the day, um, we you will also see signs of kind of chronic, being chronically tired. And for me, this is really where um, I feel like sleep apnea had a profound impact on my son is he was chronically irritable. This is because he didn't sleep well for years. Most likely he was chronically irritable. Um, so he was having a lot of trouble with his behavior, throwing temper tantrums, um, struggling to get through the day. And I, I also think he developed a kind of a lot of bad habits during that time of tantruming because he was so tired that that sort of seems to have continued even as he's gotten older, either because uh, developmentally what happened to him while he had sleep apnea or he just developed kind of these ways of being because he was um, trying to cope with being so tired. Daytime sleepiness was also a a problem with my son, even as he was five, which is when we got to the ENT, he would nap all the time. He would fall asleep during the day on the couch. He would fall asleep during the day in the car beyond when was sort of acceptable for a young child. And then he also had, and still has, I think, because I think it had a, a long lasting effect, some trouble at school and was very slow, um, to learn things, which I sort of see in my six-year-old, which is why I'm excited that we are getting the sleep apnea test. 
but specifically um, troubles in school where he was behind academically, um, slower to learn some of the things that his his classmates already knew. One of those specifically was like fine motor skills, handwriting. Um, I think that that was, he was really delayed in handwriting, but just overall his school performance was poor. And that's another one of those things where um, academics can still be challenging to him for this day. And I always wonder, you know, if we had had it diagnosed sooner, if, if he would just be different as a student even now. So having discussed some of these nighttime and daytime symptoms in this ENT visit, the doctor gave me an assignment, and I talked a little bit about this already, but um, this was our first visit, despite the fact that I had talked about tonsils and I had talked about, and the tonsils, he did note that the tonsils were really large, um, but your first visit with an ENT, they're not going to say, hey, let's get rid of those tonsils. They really want to make sure that you are experiencing sleep apnea uh, not just temporarily because of a cold. So the doctor had said, come back in six weeks. I want to see if he is still experiencing these problems. And I also, he had also assigned me to start to really watch him at, as he slept. And I did do that over the period of the next six weeks um, and was able to capture some videos of, in fact, him waking. Um, I also captured a lot of Darth Vader breathing uh, videos, which... I didn't even notice at the time, but when I showed them to the ENT, he noted that the, his breathing patterns in general were irregular. And I also got a lot of pictures of him sleeping with that sort of tilted back neck that I talked about. And for us, within those six weeks, I went away and said, you know, I can tell this doctor that we've had enlarged tonsils forever. I can, we can go back into doctor's records and see that I've been noting it for years. So I wanted to kind of push the envelope when we finally got the di diagnosis. So by the time we got back to that six-week appointment, we were already looking at booking a tonsillectomy instead of just kind of evaluating whether or not the sleep apnea is a constant problem. That was when I kind of pushed on the gas because we had been dealing with it so long and I didn't want to deal with it any longer. So that ENT visit and that ENT follow-up is what led us to our sleep apnea diagnosis. Now with my middle son, we never had a sleep test and, and I don't actually know why. I think it was because of the size of his tonsils at the time and because of the video that I brought in that we moved forward with a tonsillectomy without having a sleep test. But if you're concerned about your child sleeping, the way that you are diagnosed is to bring up these concerns to a doctor and you may have a sleep apnea test, which is what we're doing with our six-year-old next month. And now they can do them at home. I actually have to go um, and we have an appointment where they we learn how to use the equipment and we bring it home that night. Um, so that we'll, we'll find out uh, if he has sleep apnea too. But if once you get the diagnosis of sleep apnea, the treatment in most cases, as is the case with my son, is a tonsillectomy and an adenoidectomy. So if you have enlarged tissue that's blocking your airways, the tissue needs to come out. Now, I did have another visit with my oldest son because I was concerned, and they brought with him as well. And it's something I'm just really heightened. My awareness of is heightened. And that ENT mentioned that if I was still concerned about sleep, they may try a round of antibiotics to see if there's some infection in those tissues and they can get that, those tissues to kind of um, not be so inflamed. So your doctor will talk with you about treatment of sleep apnea. But for us, it was a tonsillectomy. 
So the majority of sleep apnea cases are treated with tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. Uh, my son's not only were his tonsils inflamed, but his adenoids were as well. So I want to talk a little bit about surviving a tonsillectomy because it is a challenging recovery and it's long and it's really hard um, to have pain in your throat like that. So once we were given the diagnosis of sleep apnea and we were told we had to have a tonsillectomy, I think our surgery was scheduled for a few weeks later. I had scheduled it for, I think, the Monday of Thanksgiving week. My son was in kindergarten at the time, and he, I thought I knew that he would have to recover that whole week, um, and I did, and I was hoping he wouldn't have to miss any more school. Um, now, if I could do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have done it uh, Thanksgiving week. In my head, I thought that was a brilliant decision because he wouldn't miss that much school, but the reality was that he we had we had people come to our house for thanksgiving because he was going to be recovering from surgery and he was really not ready to have people visit him on that thursday and he also wasn't ready to be presented like with other kids and and that was not a good choice so having to, to so if you have your child has to have a tonsillectomy don't do it the week of thanksgiving um but we had we had a little bit of time to prepare we read a book, I'll link to it in the show notes, show notes called Goodbye Tonsils, and it was just talking about the process. And I was telling him that once we remove the tonsils, he would be able to have all these great foods. Now, uh, and we went to the grocery store. He and I went to the grocery store, and we got some ice creams and some applesauce, and he got to pick out all of the things he wanted to eat. Now, I have had a tonsillectomy. I had my tonsils out when I was 22. Um, and the thing to know about having your tonsils out, having done it myself, is it hurts so bad to eat anything, and especially all the things they tell you you should be excited to eat. And I don't know if it's different for a son, my a kid, and so for my son, I did get him the ice cream and the popsicles, and he was able to eat some of that. But for me personally, and just kind of be on the lookout if your child's having a tonsillectomy, um, those extreme temperatures, cold, so ice cream and hot, or even like a soup, because you would think you'd be able to eat soup. Those really bothered my tonsils. But we took some time to prepare all of the things that he was going to need and want after having surgery. Um, the day of surgery, we went in. I had I had um, a friend watch my other children, so my husband and I were able to take him in. Or I think I maybe took him in, and then my husband met me there. Um, but my son was doing great. I think that we had prepared him pretty well, reading that book and talking about the process. Um, he, my, he was offered some medication to help calm him down, and the nurse kind of said, if he doesn't need it, don't take it because the surgery is so short that it takes him getting off of that medication that calms you down. You can get a little irritable, so they didn't give any, him anything to calm down. They wheeled him back, and he had his tonsils and his adenoids removed. I already mentioned they had told me um, afterwards that his tonsils were a size 3+, plus. so they rate your tonsils um, on a scale between 1 and 4 on the size of your tonsils um, based on the percentage of the air they're blocking on that side. So if your tonsils are a 1, they're blocking 25% of the airflow on your one side. Um, his were three plus, so it was actually over 75% of his air on each side was being blocked. 
after the surgery, they brought him into the recovery room. We had a nurse come out and tell us the surgery went well and, and he was doing great and he was ready to see us and he was so happy and being so kind to everybody in the, the waiting room. And I remember it all changed apparently since from the time the nurse walked to us and we walked back because by the time we got back there, he was hysterically crying and screaming for me, I think. And he was really, really upset. But we were able, we were released from the hospital and sent home. And that first day, he must have still been under that anesthesia because he wanted to play. He was having no pain. He wanted to eat. And he seemed to be doing fine. And I was certainly waiting for the other foot to fall, and it did. So the rest of the time that we had to recover, I mean, the recommendations for a tonsillectomy, which I agree with, are uh, staying on top of the pain meds. And this becomes a feat because for me, it I mean, for my son, it hurts to swallow. So he didn't want to take his pain meds ever. So you think like, oh, of course I'll stay on top of the pain meds. That won't be a problem. But for us, it became a fight to even give him the pain meds. And that was something that I had warned a friend who was having a tonsillectomy after is that I really, our our son was not so nice during that recovery time. You know, he had had a history of not sleeping. So he certainly wasn't well-rested leading up to the tonsillectomy, and he wasn't well-rested during the recovery because he was in so much pain. And so I remember him flat-out refusing medication, telling me to stop pushing him to drink, stop pushing him to eat. So um, my best recovery tips, I think, for a tonsillectomy would be definitely stay on top of pain meds, continue to drink to to continue to push fluids and food, have a bunch of stuff um, on hand, which we did, and he got to pick out, but also know that it is going to be really hard to get that medicine and that food down your child. The other thing that we did, there's some risk of bleeding after your tonsils. Um, So we moved my son's mattress into our room and had him sleep in our room because we just wanted to be close to him and be able to follow up, be able to kind of keep an eye on him at night. So it was tough getting through that, but it was definitely worth it because after that tonsillectomy and his adenoids, um, after those were removed, his sleep apnea was gone. And he was finally, for the first time in years, able to get a full night's sleep. So that's it. That's the thing that I regret the most as a parent was how we handled the diagnosis of sleep apnea and how I wish I knew a little bit more at the time. And probably, I mean, I think the moral of the story for me beyond just being able to recognize sleep apnea, because I would really love to have somebody else not have to go through that time period that we did. It's why I'm doing this show. But I guess the moral of the story just for me and anybody else who's listening is to make sure that you continue to be your child's advocate. And if you feel like something's wrong and you're not getting the answer you want, for me personally, I didn't get the answer that I wanted from my child's pediatrician and really needed to see the specialist. And when we saw the specialist, that was where we got the question, the right questions were asked and the right diagnosis was given. And if I had it to do all over again... I would definitely make sure that I ask to see that specialist sooner and advocate for my child probably more than I did, which is why I've got another son with a sleep apnea test coming up and we may be in for the whole 
thing all over again. So we'll see what happens in November. Thanks for listening to this episode of Boys Built Better. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and you can always check out more at www.boysbuiltbetter.com. See you next time.